Hey, it's good to be with you guys. How are you all doing this morning? Good, good, awesome. It's great that you're here. It's good to be together. And uh, we're continuing today in our series called Joseph, which is about, you guessed it, a guy named Joseph. And uh, there's many Josephs in the Bible. This is the Joseph. He lived about 1,900 years before Jesus did. And chances are, whether you're a Bible person or a faith person or a Jesus person or not, you probably at least heard of this guy, right? This guy, he had some, uh, like a really cool coat. He had some crazy dreams. He had some really mean brothers. Uh, He even was the star in a Broadway musical. Uh, uh, That's not in the Bible, but there's a musical about him. So I haven't seen it. Has anyone seen that musical? Is Is it any good? It's good. All right. So maybe you should see it. So, but we're talking about this guy, and we're not talking about the musical. We're talking about what Scripture has to say. And, uh, and the reason why we're going to look at his story today, we're just going to go through his story together. And the reason why we're going to do that and why that's important, whether you're a Bible person or not, is Joseph's story helps us to ask a question. And this question is a question that all of us have to ask at least at some point in our adult life. If you've lived long enough, and seen enough of life, you eventually have to ask this question and deal with its answer. I'm not saying that we're going to completely answer the question today, but we're at least going to talk about it because it's real life. It's real life, and so it's worth talking about. And the reality is this question, I mean, it's a question that might be the thing for why some of you today or someone that you know and care about, faith just isn't important to you or can't be important to you. Because this question it hits really close to home. And so we want to at least begin to address that as we look at Joseph's story. And the question is this. Where is God when life is, isn't going how you hoped and dreamed it would go? Where is God when life isn't going how you hoped and dreamed that your life would go? Because we all have dreams for how our life is, is going to turn out. And when I was back in Sunday school, they said, well, Nick, God is all loving. And Nick, God is all-powerful. But then those things happened in our lives, didn't they? Where it's like, well, if God was all-powerful, he could have done something about that situation. So he either just wasn't there or he didn't care. Well, if God is truly all-loving and he has the power, where is he? Does he even exist? Where is God when life isn't going how you hoped and dreamed it would turn out? And like I said, this is an important thing for for all of us, no matter where you're at with the God thing. Um, Because we all have dreams, for how our life will turn out. And sometimes those dreams just don't really happen. I remember when I was a kid, I had dreams of, of being a superhero, okay? And so I would take my little blanket, and I'd tuck it into my shirt, and I'd run around the house in my underwear and a blanket. And I don't do that anymore. Just, <laughs> just I, I figured out that dream wasn't going to happen. When I was in high school, I had dreams of teenage romance, and thank the Lord none of that actually <laughs> happened. Uh, God helped me dodge some bullets on that one. Um, when I was in college, I was in a band, and I had dreams that we would make it big, and we never did. I even, I even remember I had dreams uh, that one day I would have six-pack abs, and I'm not going to tell you whether or not that dream came true, so <laughs> it's getting weird. All right, moving on. Uh, <laughs> but the truth is that, that many of us, we have dreams that are a bit more serious than six-pack abs, right? You know, we, we dreamed... We dreamed that life would be a little different than it is right now. We dreamed we'd get that job. We dreamed that we'd get into that school. We dreamed that we'd be with that person forever. And it didn't happen. Where's God then? For many of us, we had dreams of of impacting the world and doing something great, not for ourselves, but for someone else. And for some reason, it just seemed like the world just didn't want that dream to happen. 
For some of us, we imagined what our life would be like in the future, and the future came to the present, and all of a sudden we were like, well, I never dreamed that that would happen to us. We never dreamed that they were capable of doing something like that. We never dreamed that we would make that mistake, that they would get that sick. But they did. And where was God then? I remember when I was five years old, uh, before anyone in my family, anyone that I knew in my life had ever died, uh, I was five. I never dreamed that there would be a day where I couldn't wrestle with Grandpa anymore, you know? Where I couldn't eat Werther's Originals with him and uh, chop waffle fries in the back of his uh, small-town grocery store in Iowa. I never dreamed that, that that would end, but it did. And it ended way too soon. And I remember being at his funeral, and I was five, so I did I understood what was going on, but I didn't really understand everything, and, and I was just kind of observing, and I was sitting on my dad's lap, and I, I remember looking over, and I saw my aunt, whose father had died way too young. And she had her face in her hands, and she was sobbing. And it's those moments in life where you have to ask, well, well where is God? When life isn't turning out how you hoped and dreamed it would turn out. Because all of us, no matter where you're at with the God thing, we all have hopes and dreams for how life will turn out. And Joseph, he had hopes and dreams as well. And the interesting thing about Joseph is he had hopes and dreams of greatness. That was, that was his dream. But he didn't have just like these hopeful, aspirational dreams of greatness. They were actually like in your sleep kind of dreams, okay? Uh, it says that one night, Joseph had a dream. And when he had it, he told his brothers about it. And they hated him more than ever. And you need to know that Joseph's brothers did not like Joseph. He tattled on his brothers to his dad. Joseph was always the favorite. That's why he had that cool coat. And so his brothers hated him. And now he's telling them this dream. And look at what he said. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up. And your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. Now, that, his brothers picked up on the imagery really quick. Okay. Uh, this is the equivalent of um, going to your boss tomorrow at work and saying, hey boss, I have a new career goal. My career goal now is to one day be your boss. And you're going to have to listen to what I say. So do you want to give me a promotion? Probably not going to work out so well. You're probably not even going to get another paycheck. Okay. And, and this is what Joseph did. He didn't really have a whole lot of emotional intelligence, I guess. And look at how his brothers responded. His brothers responded, so you think you'll be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way that he talked about them. Now, it, it, Joseph, he just... Everyone likes to give him a little flack. You know, not a lot of emotional intelligence. But when you were 17, I mean... Come on, 17-year-olds, that's, that's just the way that it is. So didn't have a whole lot of emotional intelligence when he had the dream again. He's just like, wow, I had this dream a second time. This is definitely from God himself. He had the dream, and he told his brothers and his family again. And his brothers hated him even more. And his father was like, what is wrong with this kid? And eventually it all came to a head because uh, dad sent Joseph into the field to check on his brothers and their flocks. And his brothers are in the field, and they actually weren't where they were supposed to be, but they saw Joseph coming because he finally found him. And they say, well, there's that dreamer. That dreamer who thinks that he's going to rule over us with his cool, colorful coat because he's dad's favorite. And his coat was the symbol 
of his position in his dad's house. And when Joseph came over, they decided that they were going to grab Joseph. And they threw him into a pit where he couldn't get out. Their own flesh and blood. And Joseph's older brother, Judah, got the bright idea. Instead of killing this guy, let's make some money off of him. And they sold Joseph into slavery. Now that wasn't how Joseph dreamed his life would turn out. Joseph had dreams of greatness. Then he found himself in a pit and sold into slavery and eventually in an Egyptian slave master's house. Not how he dreamed life would turn out. But if there's one thing that we learn over and over again throughout Joseph's story, it's it's that God has not abandoned you just because you're in the pit. God has not abandoned you just because you're in the pit of life. Just because you're going through a difficult time in life does not mean that you are alone. Look at what it says in chapter 39. It says this. The Lord was, this is Joseph in slavery, the Lord was what? With Joseph. He was with Joseph. And what happened because he was with Joseph? The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything that he did. It wasn't that Joseph was just making the best of the situation. God was with him. The God of the universe. In in the pit, in the bottom of the barrel, in the worst part of his life thus far. God was with him. And look at this. He was with him and he made him successful in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. I wonder what would happen in our lives when we're in those dark times of our life if we learn to serve within those dark times of our life rather than just trying to pull ourselves out of the pit over and over again. I just wonder what would happen. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything that he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything that he owned. Now, being a slave in Egypt, that wasn't ideal for Joseph, but he was moving up in the world. He had dreams of greatness. And he was, I mean, there was Potiphar, and then there was Joseph. And Joseph, he moved up in the world, and God was with him. God had not abandoned him just because he was in the pit. Now, have you ever had something good going in your life? And, uh, you know, maybe you were following God, and you you were doing everything faithfully, and following all the rules, and, you know, doing everything that you should be doing, and God maybe was blessing you, and, and then all of a sudden someone came along. And there's someone kind of pulled the rug out from underneath you. Maybe it was a romance or a boss or someone at work. Maybe it was the economy and something came along and it pulled the rug out from underneath you. Well, that was Potiphar's wife to Joseph. See, Joseph, he was successful in Potiphar's house. And the scripture even lets us know that Joseph, well, Joe, he was quite the looker, okay? Joe, he was a good-looking guy. I mean, he probably had those six-pack abs that I may or may not have, okay? Uh, Joseph, I mean, he he was successful. He was good-looking. He was young. And Potiphar's wife, well, she noticed that. And day after day, she tried to get Joseph to come to bed with her, to commit adultery with her. And Joseph, since he's a faithful guy, he, he was faithful to God, he was faithful to his master, he had all this success for a reason, he didn't want to mess that up, and, and he always said no every single time, every single time. And she would ask him day after day, and some people always think, oh, well, Joseph, man, he's real good at resisting temptation, what would I do in that situation? 
just so you know, the text says that Joseph is really good looking, but there's no information about what Potiphar's wife. <laughs> we don't know how old she was. We, so th- this may or may not have been a tempting situation for Joseph. We, we have no idea. But the point is, the point is that Joseph was a slave, and she was the wife of the slave master. So she should have what she wants. And so one day she grabbed Joseph by the coat. Joseph was always getting in trouble for his coat. He grabbed jo- she grabbed Joseph by the coat to pull him into bed, and he slipped out of the coat, and he ran out of the house because he wanted to honor God and honor his master. And you know what she did? She took that coat, and she used it as evidence against him, saying that he came in to take advantage of her. And who do you think Potiphar believed? His desperate housewife? Or a slave. See, Joseph, he was always getting in trouble for his coat, the thing that symbolized his place in the, his father's house, the thing that symbolized his place in his master's house. He was always getting in trouble for that. And look at how Potiphar responded. Potiphar was furious. Wouldn't you be if you heard that story? When he heard his wife's story, and that's just what it was, it was a story, about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and he threw him into prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. Not how Joseph dreamed his life would turn out. Joseph had dreams of greatness, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, now falsely accused and thrown into prison? Really? After he had been faithful, he had an opportunity to just take something when life had already taken so much from him. And he did the right thing. And look where he ended up. But verse 21 says this. But the Lord was, help me out, was with Joseph. Where? In the prison. And what did he do to Joseph in the prison? He showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. So, not the ideal situation, um, but Joseph was moving up in the prison world, I guess. (laughs) He was kind of a natural-born leader. And so, Joseph, he's in charge of the prison, and uh, and they get a couple new inmates in, and uh, it's the Pharaoh's chief baker and the Pharaoh's chief cupbearer. I guess Pharaoh didn't like dinner or something like that and threw them in jail. So that joke didn't work at the first service. I thought it worked with you. Never mind. Bible jokes gone wild, everyone. (laughs) Anyhow, so Pharaoh's chief cupbearer who gives him the wine, hence you have wine with dinner, and baker, bread, bread with dinner. You see where I'm going? Okay, great. Uh, They're in prison, had a bad meal or something like that, and Joseph is doing the rounds, and he hears that they have these really weird dreams. And Joseph's like, hey, you know, I've had dreams before. I know about dreams. Dreams are actually for God. God knows what these dreams mean. And Joseph gives honor to God. And he says, tell me your dreams. And so they tell him the dreams. And if you know the story, Joseph interprets the dreams. And then the dreams come true. And it turns out pretty good for the cupbearer. He's put back in his position in Pharaoh's palace, you know, giving him wine and making sure it's not poisoned and whatever cupbearers do. But it didn't turn out so well for the baker. Don't read that section to your kids at night. That was uh, pretty gruesome. And, but Joseph had interpreted these dreams c- 
correctly. And I imagine Joe, he was talking to the, the cupbearer as he was leaving prison, like, hey, look, could you do me a huge favor? Since I helped you out with this dream thing, uh, would you mind putting a real big fat glass of wine into Pharaoh's hands and bringing up my case? Because I'm innocent. I'm not supposed to be here. And I just, need a, I just need to catch a break. Would you do that for me? And after this guy had been helped out by Joseph, you'd imagine that he would, but guess what happened? The guy completely forgot about Joseph. And Joseph rotted in jail for two more years. Not how Joseph dreamed his life would turn out. He dreamed of greatness. But he was betrayed by his own flesh and blood, thrown into the pit, sold into slavery, falsely accused, thrown into prison, and now everyone had forgotten about Joseph. Where was God? Two years later, because sometimes um, God has us wait in a place where we don't want to be, so the timing can be right for him to take us to the place that he wants us to be. Two years later, Pharaoh had a dream. He actually had two dreams. Pharaoh had a dream of these really fat cows that would make really delicious T-bone steaks, medium, rare, delicious stuff, and then these really gross, disgusting, skinny cows that maybe would make a Big Mac or two. And, uh, and then he had this dream about some really delicious-looking wheat and this really disgusting-looking wheat. And Pharaoh knew that these dreams meant something. And it freaked him out. And everyone in Pharaoh's palace is trying to help him figure out, well, okay, how, how do we help Pharaoh calm down? Because when Pharaoh's mad, heads roll, okay? So we got we to gotta figure something out. And no one could interpret the dreams. And that's when the cupbearer, two years later... <laughs> finally remembered Joseph. And so they got Joseph and they pulled him out of prison and they cleaned him all up and they chopped off his disgusting prison beard, you know, because when you're in prison, you have a gross prison beard. That's not in the scripture. I just imagine it like that. Anyway, uh, so they clean him all up and they bring him before Pharaoh and, and, uh, and Pharaoh tells him the dreams. And Joseph does the same thing. He gives honor to God. He interprets the dreams and lo and behold, those dreams came to fruition. See, the dream was that there would be seven years of plenty, bountiful harvest. And then there would be another seven years where, uh, well, it's going to be famine. It's going to be so bad, there's going to be very few survivors. And Joseph even proposed a famine relief strategy that Pharaoh should implement to make it through this famine. And I find it so interesting how Pharaoh responded. Look at this. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man? So, look at this, so obviously filled with the Spirit of God. Let me ask you a question. Who does Pharaoh worship? He didn't worship God. He had his own Egyptian gods. Pharaoh wasn't believing in God, but he could see God's presence with Joseph. And what's so interesting is that he didn't see God's presence with Joseph because Joseph was having a cushy, wonderful life. He saw God's presence with Joseph because Joseph was in the pit and somehow, someway, God was with him in the pit of life. And it was so obvious to him. And you know what he did? It says that then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of these dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. That's a nice comment. You will be in charge of my court. 
and all my people will take orders from you. Only I sitting on the throne will have a rank higher than yours. Now, that's, uh, I mean, if you dream of greatness, I mean, that was like the most powerful country in the world at that point in time. And Joseph, he went from the prison to the number two guy in one day because the Lord was with him. And it wasn't because Joseph was just making the best of the situation. The Lord was with him. Because the Lord has not abandoned you just because you're in the pit. Just because life is difficult. Just because there are things that are truly painful. Does not mean that God is not with you. In fact, sometimes it's when we're in the pit that we're actually in a posture where instead of looking around and trying to be the hero of our own life, we can look up to the one who can actually save us. Because when we're in the pit, God is most often seen and most often prevalent in our lives. And I wonder... If you're in the pit today, can you see him? Because God hasn't abandoned you just because you're in the pit. And we need to be careful here because a lot of people will think, oh, well, um, since I'm a Christian, everything ends up rosy in this life. And most of us are old enough to know that that's not true. That's just not true. But if you're God's kid, if you're God's kid and you're in the pit of life, It simply means that your story isn't done yet, even if your life is coming to an end. God writes stories where he wins for his kids. And if you're God's kid, and you're in the pit of life, your story simply isn't done because God does not abandon you just because you're in the pit of life. And it's, it's so interesting to me because Joseph, he finally caught his break. And uh, he, I mean, everything was working out for him. He got his break. He got married. He even got a new Egyptian name. He started walking like Egyptian and stuff, you know, like. Um, and, and he had, even had kids. And it says that Joseph named his older son Manasseh. Everyone say Manasseh. And Manasseh means, or for, he said, God has made me forget all my troubles. And look at this. And everyone in my father's family. All those people that ruined my life. That threw me into the pit. Finally, I've made it. Finally, I can put that mess of a past, that mess of a family behind me. Because the family of God had hurt him. And I wonder if there's some of you that during the course of your life, the family of God has hurt you in some way. And for Joseph, he gave God credit that God had made him forget that, that God had brought him somewhere else, that God had not abandoned him. And he named his second son Ephraim. Everyone say Ephraim. For he said, God has made me fruitful in my land of grief. And the interesting thing about Joseph is that He was in the prison, and then he was in the palace. And God had not abandoned him because he was in the prison. And at this point in his life, Joseph was probably thinking, you know, if only my brothers could see me now. If only my brothers could see how far I've come. But one of the things Joseph hadn't quite figured out at this point in his journey is that even though God does not abandon you when you're in the pit, it does not mean that he's done with you. 
because you're in the palace. Just because God uh, does not abandon you when you're in the pit, God also is not done with you when you're in the palace. When you've arrived, when you, your dreams are coming true, when life is easy, and can't we all get honest? It's easier to forget about God when life isn't squeezing you. It's easy to forget about God when everything's going your way. It's easy to forget about the fact that he's the one that was with you in the hard times. And a lot of us treat God like a crutch, where when life is hard, we limp on the crutch until we feel better. But God's not a crutch, he's a father. And since he's a good father, he will prop us up and he will walk with us in our hard times, and he'll stroll with us in our good times. And no matter how good life is going, that doesn't mean that you have arrived at, God's, at the end of God's story for you. And this was the same for Joseph, because Joseph's great-granddaddy was Abraham. Do you remember him? And God made a promise to Abraham. He said that through your family, the family of the Hebrews, I'm going to bring the Savior of the world. And the whole world will be blessed because of your family. And Joseph, he had a choice to make. Was he going to be an Egyptian, or was he going to be a part of God's family? And that question came to a head. When the famine didn't just hit Egypt, it hit Canaan, where Joseph's family lived. And Joe's brothers were all sitting around, and they were all really hungry, and Dad said, hey, the only place that there's any food is in Egypt, so go to Egypt. And they went to Egypt. And the only place to get food in Egypt was Joe's grocery, okay? And, um, and Joseph, I mean, he, he had a new Egyptian name, he walked like Egyptian, and, uh, and so when they saw Joseph, they, you know, he was just some Egyptian guy who was in charge. But when Joseph saw his brothers, I mean, he recognized them right away. And Joseph, when he saw them bow down to him, I mean, he remembered that dream from when he was 17 years old. And can you just imagine for a second, after all that Joseph had been through, if you were in his shoes and the people that had hurt you most showed up and they didn't recognize you, wouldn't you just want to say, I told you so? Look at where I'm at and look at where you're at. Are you happy now? That's not what he did. Instead, he toyed with them. He wanted them to feel the things that he felt. So he hid his identity and he imprisoned them. He falsely accused them. He even concocted this weird scenario where Judah, the brother that had decided to sell Joseph into slavery in the first place, where Judah could either, uh, could either save Benjamin, his youngest brother, the other favorite in the family, or he could sacrifice his own neck. And Judah came up to Joseph and he surprised him. Judah didn't know it was Joseph and he came up to him and he said, you know, I, I come from a family and my dad had a favorite son and he's not with us anymore. And I made a promise to my dad that if anything happened to Benjamin, that I would take responsibility. And I know that this scenario means that Benjamin would need to be a slave in Egypt. So I'm asking you, please, would you take me instead? Completely different brother than what Joseph experienced when he was 17. And can you imagine the emotions that he felt as he was listening to this, hiding who he was? The text says that Joseph could stand it no longer. 
There were many people in the room. And he said to his attendants, out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers. And when he told them who he was. And then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him. The word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I'm Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. I mean, they thought he was either dead or asleep somewhere. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said. So they came closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But, look at this, this is huge. This is crazy. But don't be upset. And don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. Look at this. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years and there will be neither plowing or harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So, it was God who sent me here, not you. How can you say that, Joseph? How can you say that? His brothers sinned against him. They threw him in the pit. It was from their own evil thoughts and hearts and intentions and actions that Joseph ended up where he did and went through the darkest parts of his life. How could you say that? God did it? Really? I think the brothers did it. But Joseph realized something. He realized that all along God was with him. Because God does not abandon you when you're in the pit. And since his brothers came, Joseph realized that he wasn't done just because he ended up in the palace. And he learned that God leverages everything. And he wastes nothing. God leverages everything. And he wastes nothing. So when someone sins against you, when someone hurts you, when sickness strikes, when abuse strikes, when uh, poverty strikes, when the bad parts of life strike, God will leverage that. And God gave us a free will. And we're like one big messy family. And all of us can make good choices and bad choices, even against each other. And God will even leverage our bad choices to his glory. And the good news is that even when Bad things happen in our life. They're never wasted. God is the redeemer of all. He's the redeemer of everything. And it's your good things, they belong to God's story. Your bad things, they belong to God's story. God leverages everything. And he wastes nothing in our lives. And he was bringing Joseph to the place that he needed to be, not only to save many lives, but to continue in this covenant family of God's people. And the thing that you need to know today about your story, that we learn from Joseph's story, is that your story, it has an author, an ending, and a hero that are bigger than you and bigger than me. We have an author of our story that's bigger than us. Our story isn't just about us. 
Our story fits into a broader and grander story where God is doing something great. And the good thing is that if you're God's kid, you win at the end. Because your dad wins at the end. Because he writes the story, and he knows the ending, and he works all things to his glory and his good, and he is the hero. See, Joseph, he's a great example in Scripture. You look at his story, and man, if we could all live our lives like Joseph and resisting temptation and serving in the midst of, of bad times of life, that would be great for all of us. But Joseph wasn't the hero. God was the hero of his story. It was God that was with him. It's God that didn't abandon him. It's God that wasn't done with him. It was God that had a plan for him. It was God that used him to save the millions of people. It was God that used him to save the covenant family through which Jesus would finally And almost 2,000 years later, Jesus did come. And many of us, we spend a lot of our life trying to be the hero of our story. We try to take control of our health and our money and our comfort and our dreams. We try to take control of everything. And if we can just control it, then we can be the hero and everything will turn out just right. How's that working for you? It doesn't work very well for, for many of us. And eventually it doesn't work for any of us. Because death comes for all of us. Jesus came and lived a perfect life. And he died on a cross. And when he was raised from the grave, God declared a victory over your death, which you can't beat. He declared a victory over your sin, which you can't make up for. He even declared a victory over the evil in this world, which you can't control. None of us can. That's the good news. And so when we put our trust in him, when we trust him with our lives as Joseph did, even in the pit, that's when we experience his presence and he is king in our life. And that's what I pray for us today, is that we would realize that we have an author, we have an ending, and we have a hero that's bigger than us. We don't have to be the hero, that Jesus can be the hero. That we can do as Joseph did and trust our lives to God. You can do that today. Stand with me and let's pray. Holy God, this is difficult. This is hard because we, we like to control our life and uh, we like to have a sense of, of, of control. And we also know that not everything ends rosy on this side of heaven. But Lord, would you give us a sense of how large how powerful you are as the author of our story, how loving you are as the one who writes the ending, and how much you are the hero. May we give our lives to you. May we entrust our lives to you today, every single part of it. It wouldn't just be an hour on Sunday, but it would be every part of our life, and that we would experience your presence, that you would be with us. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Many of you might be experiencing just some questions or some thoughts, and and this is a hard topic. Oftentimes, a one-way conversation, it just isn't enough. And so I really would encourage you to head over to the prayer team over here. They're willing to listen to you, to get to know you, to hear your story, uh, and to pray with you if that's something that you would like. And so I'd encourage you to head over there after the service, and thanks so much for being here. You guys have a great rest of your weekend.